Man, it's so exciting to be with you. I was just sitting uh, on the front row singing with you and had an opportunity to walk up. And it just, you just, you, you know, those moments and times whenever you just realize what you're doing, you realize that you're doing what you love to do. And man, it's so exciting to be with you each week. And uh, man, I think about how this journey started just about three years ago. We met a young lady named Terry. And Terry actually lives in Devon Forest, and at the time we met Terry, she showed up for a function that she thought was a school function, but it turned out that it was actually a church function. And whenever we eventually kind of broke the news to her, no, we're a church, and this is a church function that you showed up for, uh, she was a little uh, suspicious about what might be going on, and uh, quite frankly, she was... um, she was worried. She was worried. She didn't want to get involved with the church, didn't want to be around any church people. And she was very uh, super hesitant about getting to know us, super hesitant about wanting to be our friend. And we just continued to dive away at that and continued to uh, befriend her, continued to spend time with her. And slowly but surely, um, she became more involved and she became more involved. Her kids were involved and she never missed a meeting. She served with us and eventually Terry became a believer in Jesus. And then she had the opportunity of baptizing uh, her oldest son, Walker, and Terry is actually a part of Creekside Church. She's one of the members here, and she wasn't here today. But the interesting thing about our relationship with Terry and the interesting thing about how she got plugged in is because the reason she was super hesitant about joining a church was because of so many bad experiences that she had had in the past. And she knew Christians and she knew churches. And it was like every time she wanted to get involved, every time she wanted to to go deeper in relationship with a Christian, it was almost as if it put a sour taste in her mouth because she felt like they were judging her. She felt like they were looking down on her because of a past or she wasn't necessarily living uh, as closely as she is now with the Lord, and she just felt all the time as if people were uh, making her feel bad. That's a bad news. We need to turn that off back there. <laughs> and here's the thing. I think if we're honest with each other, we've all been there. I think if we're honest with each other, and I think if you were to think back over your lifetime, we've all had points and times in our lives when we've been hurt by other Christians, or we've been hurt by other churches. It is a sad but unfortunate reality that many of us have been hurt by other Christians. We've been hurt by other churches. And generally, what happens in those cases is a church or a believer in Christ will look down on you, will look down on something that you've done in your past and make you feel bad about it, make you feel like you're unacceptable, make you, make you feel like you just don't belong in the church. I think we've all been there. We've all had experiences like that. And some of these people can be summed up as like holy rollers, or Bible thumpers. I don't know where those names came from, but they just stick around. Uh, we all know, we've all heard somebody who's been called that before. It's not really my favorite term. But we've all been in those places where we know those people. And I think one of our largest obstacles, one of our biggest barriers as a new church is overcoming this perception that the church is filled with judgmental people. I think that that's one of our biggest barriers, one of the biggest hurdles that we're going to have to jump over, especially in this community, is majority of the people here believe that the church is filled 
with judgmental people. Now here is the question. Where do you think Jesus stands on this issue? How do you think Jesus would refer to a church or a Christian who looks down on people because of a perceived bad past or perceived history that is unacceptable to the church? How do you think Jesus would view this issue if he were in the presence of religious elite and sinners? Where do you think he would go? What route do you think he would take? What would he say to the sinners? What would he say to the religious elite? Well, I'm glad you asked because this morning we're continuing in our sermon series through the book of Mark. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. As a matter of fact, Mark chapter 2. Each week, we're going to be tracking through the book of Mark, and we'll talk about something different about Jesus, a different characteristic about Jesus, who he was, what he did, what he taught, all those different kinds of things. You see, in our culture today, Jesus is often seen as this mythological creature. He may have existed, he may not have existed. We believe here at Creekside Church that Jesus definitely existed, that you could have touched him, that you could have talked to him, and that the Bible records all of those acts and everything that Jesus said. And that's what we're going to be picking up in Mark chapter 2. Week 1, we learn that Jesus Christ came to rescue us from sin. And the way that he came to do that was through connecting us back to God and by destroying Satan. We learned that the very first week. The second week, we learned that Jesus is our healer. Say that with me. Jesus is our healer. And he healed the man with leprosy. Today, he's going to dive right into this very question of how does he interact with sinners? How does he interact with religious elites? So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 2, we're going to start. In verse 13, if you're there, say, I got it. Awesome. It should be up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. You can see our Connect table and just grab one of those Bibles for free. He, being Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, and when they saw him that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus values people far from God. Jesus values people far from God. Say that with me. Jesus values people far from God. And that just breaks it down perfectly right here as Jesus is walking into a crowd. He sees a man named Levi who was a tax collector. Now for us, that doesn't have any significance whatsoever. But in this day and in Jesus' culture, walking up to a tax collector was taboo. You see, a tax collector was something sort of like a gangster or, or like a uh, somebody who's in, in charge of a lot of different things. It's a rich man that nobody wanted anything to do with. You see, he was Jewish. Levi was a 
Jewish man here working for the Roman government, so it was kind of like he was an outsider. He worked for them. He worked for the man. And so as, a, as an employee of the Roman government, what he would do is he would go around and collect taxes from his fellow Jewish people. He would collect taxes from them to take back to the Romans. And the way that it worked was that whatever he took extra outside of the taxes was what he made as a, as a business. This is how he had income was by taking extra from people. And boy, did the tax collectors take extra. And they were known for being cheats. They were known for being liars. They were known for taking away from their own. And they were hated. They were despised. Kind of like the upper echelon of the culture because they were rich and because they had money, but they were hated. And so it's taboo. For Jesus to walk up to this man named Levi, this tax collector, it's taboo for Jesus to even walk up to him and to start a conversation. But that's not the only people that are there. That's not the only people that are present in this scene. It says that as he goes on, Levi follows him, becomes a follower. They go and they have this big feast at his house. And as they're sitting at the house, reclining and enjoying a meal, it says that there are spectators outside the house. There are people outside the house that are watching Jesus with these brows on their faces and they're looking at him and it says that they are called the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees were the exact opposite of the tax collectors. If the tax collectors were at the very bottom of society because of their sin and because of their corruption, the Pharisees were at the top of society, but they were also respected. They were esteemed highly because they knew what we call the law. They knew the Old Testament law better than anybody in town. And they spent and devoted their entire lives to these religious rules, these religious things that they followed just about to a T. Now, eventually we're going to get there, but these Pharisees were the ones uh, believed and responsible for the killing of Jesus Christ. Because they felt like he was blasphemous, because he was taking all their attention. Basically, look at the Pharisees like this. They're the religious elite, but they've got it all wrong. They followed all these rules in order for God to be pleased with them, and they didn't understand that they had God in their very presence. And so they're, they're the religious. They believe that they're what we would refer to as the holy rollers, because they knew the law. They knew all the right things to do. So just for a second, put yourself in Jesus' shoes for just a second. As he's walking up to this tax collector. All right, he's in town. There's a lot of people around. There's, there's people gathered around. They're watching him. And he walks up to this tax collector. And he starts to have a conversation with him. Imagine with me for just a second, okay, that you're doing this. He, he knows what everybody thinks about the tax collector. From a young child, his family would have talked about tax collectors. His friends would have talked about tax collectors. He would have known the reputation that they had. He had to be a little bit uncomfortable, right? He's talking to the people that the religious elites would have never talked to because they were the sinners of society. You see, it's interesting, last week we talked about how Jesus went outside the camp to reach a man with leprosy. You see, Levi has leprosy too, it's just leprosy of the heart. 
And Jesus is going to him with a very specific message. Think about it with me. Jesus is God. And so he hates what Levi is doing. He hates the fact that Levi is caught up in sin. He hates because of Jesus and his holiness, because of who he is. He's God fully in the flesh. He hates the fact that Matthew or Levi is a sinner. He hates the fact that he's called up as a cheat. He hates the fact that he is this gangster in society. He hates all of it. But still he makes time to get to know Levi. And he looks him dead in the eye and he says, Levi follow me. He says, follow me. Jesus here is pursuing his creation. Levi, just as it said in Genesis 1.28 that we are created in the image of God, he created them male and female. Jesus is looking at his creation. He's looking at someone that was made in his own image and his very likeness. And although he's stuck in this sin, he's almost looking at him as a family member caught in something deep, caught in something dark, and he has compassion on him. You see, Jesus loves Levi. Jesus loves him. Jesus values Levi. And so he does the unthinkable. He does the unthinkable, and he walks up to the booth, and he says, Follow me. And those very next words right there in verse 14. And he rose and followed him. You see, Levi takes the words of Jesus, follow me, and he goes and he does it. Now you have to understand, he's leaving behind his business. He's leaving the tax collecting behind. What he's essentially doing here is he's leaving behind his lucrative cash business. Forget retirement. Forget living like high on the hog in the nicest places. Forget leaving all of, forget all of those things. And he decides to follow Jesus where he knows that he won't have any home. He knows that he may not have a guarantee of food on the table. It just says that he leaves it all behind. And we're talking about significant money here. Like a lot of money. We always talk about how the fishermen left their trade. They left everything they knew. Yeah, but so did Levi. And he left a lot of cash on the table. You see, there's, he knows that there's no way to follow Jesus while being a tax collector. He knows that he can't have both. That it's either follow Jesus or be a tax collector. Follow Jesus or be stuck in my sin. Follow Jesus or be a cheat. Follow Jesus or be a gangster. And so he decides to do the right thing and he follows after Jesus. But that's not where the story ends. You see, they go on to celebrate whenever it says in verse 15 that they reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners, and they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. He throws this big party. He says, everybody come in. And so he invites the only people that he knows, and they're sinners too. And so he's just having this big feast, this big party or celebration at his house, and he's got sinners there. And Levi himself just converted over to Christianity, becomes a follower of Jesus. Imagine with me for just a second, Jesus is sitting in Levi's home, and he's probably seeing some things that made him uncomfortable. He's probably hearing some things from these sinners 
that made him uncomfortable, starting brand new relationships with somebody that's outside of the religious camp. And he's sitting there and he's just breaking bread with them. Getting to know sinners and tax collectors was something that Jesus did often. Levi's so excited. Oh, I've left it all behind and he throws a party. He probably spent the last little bit of dough that he had and invites Jesus. And it says that they're sitting there enjoying this meal. You can imagine with me that this is a happy time of celebration. But just on the outside of the door stand the religious elite. And they're looking down on the sinners and they're looking down on the tax collectors. They're looking down on Jesus and so they start questioning the disciples, and they start to question Jesus. Why does, why does your man eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he spend time with people that aren't holy? Why is he spending his time with sinners and with gangsters? They're judging who is worthy of Jesus' time and who is not. They're judging who is acceptable of time with Jesus, this new rabbi, this new celebrity, and they say, no, these tax collectors and these sinners, they're not worthy of your time. Why in the world are you spending time with them? And they're questioning what Jesus is doing. They're questioning the fact of why Jesus might be hanging out with someone who is so unworthy. You see, the Pharisees believed that because of their devotion to religious rules, that they were worthy and that they had earned a relationship with God. Because they thought that because they had spent their entire lives from birth all the way up until this moment, that because they've spent so much time following religious rules and following what they thought to be right, they thought that they were worthy and that the tax collectors weren't. They thought that they were holy, now pleasing and acceptable to God because of their strict and religious obedience. You see, they failed to realize that no one, no one can earn a relationship with God. No one can earn a relationship with God through good works or f through following all of the good rules. The Pharisees were completely guilty and needed the same amount of grace as the tax collectors and the sinners. They were just as guilty. They had sin. And they were in the same need of grace as Levi and all of his buddies you see, whenever I was growing up, I was not always the best at doing chores. Can I, like, can I get a witness? Like, I, I wasn't always the best at doing chores. I, I wasn't the best, but I was just happened to be the best of my brothers. Um, now, my brothers were even worse than I was. Uh, so I was kind of like mom's favorite, you know, because I, I did a lot of those things. But it took a certain point in time for me to get there. I didn't just gradually, you know, it didn't happen overnight. And I remember this one particular time. It was probably on a Monday or a Tuesday, my parents said, okay, we're tired of this. We've come to you a thousand times. Here's your room. Here's the chores. You need to do it. And if you don't, there are going to be consequences after this. There's going to be consequences. We're tired of telling you. And what do you think I did? I, I did not uh, do the chores to the best of their liking. I let it slide one more time. And I remember I come home from school that day, and my mom looks at me, and she says to me, all right, we told you, if you did not do your chores, there was going to be discipline, there was going to be repercussions for you not doing what we told you to do. And I said, all right, I didn't really sign up for this, but here we are. And so dad comes home, 
And in my house, whenever dad comes home, uh, that's whenever uh, everything just comes to fruition and you feel like this angst and, and you feel all this pressure and you just want to sweat, you want to cry, all these different things. Dad comes home and sure enough, I thought that he would forget about it, but he didn't forget. He said, Dave, come back to my room. Now at this point, I could have like vanished anywhere and been happy. And so I walk back to dad's room and he sits me down and he says, Dave, we talked about this a thousand times. We talked about your chores and things getting done, and your mom says that she gave you this choice and you didn't do it. And so you know what you deserve, right? And so I just close my eyes and I hope for the best. And then I look up, and to my dismay, never had this happened before, and it probably never happened after. Instead of seeing what I thought my dad would be doing to me, I look up and my dad's holding this nicely wrapped present. This nicely wrapped present. And I'm, I'm just as shocked as you were. What's going on, Dad? This night, I was like, this is sick and twisted if you've got something going on here. But he hands me this nicely wrapped package and he looks at me with these eyes and he says, your mom and I love you to death. And I saw, uh, what's, what's going on? We've never, never done this before, Dad. And I open up the package. And at the time, it was one of those gifts like you know you had wanted forever and you had asked for it. You'll have to ask me after the service what it was. But he looks at me with these eyes and he says, I, your mom and I, we love you to death. And he hands me this package and I open it up. And I was just amazed at this. And really what my dad taught me in that moment was this concept of grace. You see, grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Grace is getting something that you haven't earned, that you haven't done anything for. As a matter of fact, you probably did the exact opposite. I deserve to be punished. I deserve discipline for breaking their, their command, for breaking their word for the umpteenth time. And instead of receiving that discipline, instead of receiving that, that punishment, I got mercy, which is getting something or, or not getting something that I do deserve, but then they hand me this present that I haven't done anything to earn, and that is a clear picture of what grace is. And if it were not for Jesus Christ and Him giving us this on a platter, relationship with Him, if it weren't for Him giving us this grace, then none of us would have access to God. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Whenever you wake up in the morning and you get that breath, you get oxygen, you get a new day, it's only through a means of grace. Because you didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. And yet He gives it to you anyway. Same it goes for our salvation and for our relationship with Jesus Christ. He gives it to us as a means of grace, not as something that we've earned. Not as something that we've deserved. As a matter of fact, we did the opposite. And see, the Pharisees here in this picture, they're looking at Jesus and saying, no, 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 we earned this. We're here. We've arrived. We've followed all the rules. We've done and met the expectations of the Old Testament. We've followed the law. Hey, hey, look at us. Why don't you come and throw a party with us? And Jesus is saying, no. It's all about my 
grace. And so he is looking at Levi and he's trying to extend this same amount of grace to Levi. And they're judging Jesus for this. You see, none of us have done anything to earn a relationship with Jesus. If you were in Christ and if you were a follower of Jesus, there was a point in time whenever you stood like Levi as a cheat and as a liar and as a gangster, as a person who is sinful and corrupt and wicked before the eyes of God. That's what we were all like before Jesus. We stood with Levi in our tax booths. We stood there with him, and if it were not for the grace of Jesus to walk by us and simply say, follow me, all of us would be without hope. All of us would be without hope. You see, we are all like Levi. We're all like him. And God saw us like family caught up in something dark, made in his image and made in his likeness. God pursued us like a missionary would chased us down, and said, follow me. Even when we were in our sin and in our rebellion against God, you see, what we said just a few weeks ago was that sin is anything that is contradictory to God and His goodness and His rightness. Sin is anything that is against that. And all of us, at some point or another, probably on a daily basis still, Say to God, we don't want to do it your way. I'd rather do it my way. My way is the best way. Whether it be how we talk to people, whether it be our views on something, whether it be our relationships with a spouse or with a neighbor or with a coworker, we've all in our own times and ways done it our way instead of his way. This is sin. And instead of kicking us out of the fold, he has grace on us and invites us back in. You see, in one sense, that was all of us. We were in a state of helplessness and Jesus valued us. But in another sense, if Jesus valued people far from God, then so should we. If Jesus valued the tax collectors and the sinners, then so should we. Let me ask you something for just a second. It was taboo for Jesus to leave the, the beaten path and go off to this tax collector's booth to sit around sinners and to sit around the tax collectors. Where is that uncomfortable place for you? Where is that place that you know if you go there, there's going to be a lot of things shady going on there? Where is that place for you that it, you know that if you go there, there's going to be a lot of sinful people? Who is the tax collector in your life desperate for good news? That the church will never get to. That they will never walk in the doors of Creekside or any other church for that matter. Who is the Levi or the tax collector in your life that society has forgotten about, that the church seemingly has forgotten about, that if the Pharisees were still here today, they would look at them and say, no, 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 they're not worthy of our time. Where are those places for you? I know for me specifically, 
that there are places around this town that are dark, that need the light of the gospel, that need some hope and representation of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to be transparent with you. In the back of my mind, I know no, those aren't the places that I'm supposed to be. And if I go there and somebody from my church sees me there, could not, it couldn't go well. It could go bad because they'll say, oh, he's there with them. There are places around this city that I, I just know that I couldn't go because of reputations and things that we have to keep. But here's the reality. Those places are all around us. All around us. And there are people like that all around us that might have a filthy mouth at work or might be a neighbor who stays up late on Saturday night just getting drunk. And you know that if you associate with them that there's going to be consequences. And so you've given up on them. You stop reaching out to the tax collectors. You stop reaching out to the sinners and you've just thrown up your hands and you said, I, I can't do anything about this. That is not the position that Jesus held. And that is not how he went after people. You see, Jesus didn't stay in his group of disciples and let the tax collectors and sinners stay off to themselves. Jesus went after them. He went to those places of darkness. He went to those places where they were. He looked them eye to eye, got close in proximity with them and said, I know that nobody else will have anything to do with you, but here I am. Jesus values lost people. Jesus values people that are far from God. He values them. So where is that uncomfortable place for you? Where or who is the Levi in your life that makes you uncomfortable because of their reputation? Make no mistake about it. He was a cheat. And everybody else in the Jewish culture and society, they hated Levi. Hated him. But Jesus was not ashamed. He wasn't ashamed to be seen with him. As your pastor, let me free you up to go to the places where lost people are. Let me free you up to go to where they are. Now, there's a clear line. Obviously, Jesus never traded and, and became a tax collector himself. He never uh, did the things that sinners did. He never did the things that the tax collectors did. There was a clear and, and, and significant line between what he did and what they did. Don't get me wrong. I'm not asking you to get into some sin. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to turn up with your neighbor over a Bud Light. That's not what I'm asking you to do. But I am asking you to go to those people and look at them with the eyes of Jesus and say, I value you and God values you too. Let me free you up as your pastor to go to those places and to be with other sinners. And let me say to you that you never have to explain to me why you're spending time with lost people. You never have to explain to me or excuse away why you're spending time with what the church might seem judgmental or unacceptable. You don't have to worm your way out of a conversation with me about that. Because if Jesus values lost people and far from God, then so should we. Let me also, let me also give you permission that if you ever hear or if you ever see somebody within this church or within this body shaming or looking down on or judging people outside this community for something that they might seem, seem as wrong, I mean, I challenge you to step up and correct that. 
I challenge you to confront that whenever you see it. I give you permission to publicly correct anyone with the heart of a Pharisee. I give you permission to do that. Because we don't judge and we don't decide who might be worthy. Only Jesus does that. And if it weren't for His grace, we'd be just as lost as they are. So let's be at the church in going after lost people. Because here at Creekside Church, we value people that are far from God. We value them as a whole. Now you've heard several weeks now, we've talked about these missional community groups. We've talked about them a lot. And the main reason that we do this is because we value lost people. And we know that Jesus does too. And so we want to go to them where they are Knowing that they might be far from God, we want to look them in the eye, have conversations with them, and eventually share the gospel of Jesus with them. Now you see the good news about Matthew's call, or Levi's call, is that Levi goes on to become a disciple and a follower of Jesus. He goes on and he becomes a, a follower, one of the twelve disciples radically changed by the good news of Jesus. You know what eventually happens to Levi? Is that he wrote the very first gospel. His name's also Matthew. And that's why I keep accidentally interchanging their names. His name's also Matthew, and he's responsible for writing the first gospel. This tax collector, and was just minding his own in this lucrative business, Jesus says, follow me. He be comes a disciple and a follower of Jesus, and he becomes one of the most famous men in all of history. One of the very first writers in the Scriptures. Taking and writing down this good news. We know that this is accurate because Levi wrote this himself in the book of Matthew. This is what can happen if Jesus and his good news grabs a hold of someone's life. This is what can take place, radical transformation, where he takes them from point A to point Z, and their lives look completely different, and he uses them for their glory. It is my goal as your pastor to have thousands of stories like Matthew's, to have thousands of stories like Levi's, where we went out to the tax collectors just as Jesus would have done, did the hard work, spent the time, embraced the awkwardness, Like, there's awkwardness, I know. Embraced it. See them as family members caught up in something dark. And then look back years later about how God took somebody and used them for His name and for His glory. I think about Terry in our church now. She was far from God. She was far. And it took believers not judging her. It took believers spending the hard time in her living room, week after week after week, saying, we love you. We embraced the awkwardness because it was there. We saw some, I personally saw some things in her house that made me a little uncomfortable. Heard some things in her house that made me a little uncomfortable. But we embraced it. We never left. And neither did she. And she's here, part of Creekside Church, baptizing members of her family. That is the church that we want to be. That is the church that we're going to fight week in and week out to be. That are reaching in to lost people and looking them in the eye and saying, we value you and we want you to be a part of it.
And so if that's you this morning, if that's you, if you're the tax collector and if you're far from God, you would say, that, uh, that's probably me. We invite you this morning to come and Jesus is saying it just to you as he was to Levi, follow me. That's a very broad statement, but really what Jesus was saying was, I want you to be in relationship with me. I want you to do the things that I do. I want you to travel with me. I want you to eat with me. I want you to lay in the place that I lay at night. And that's the same thing that he's saying to you. He's saying, I want to be in relationship with you. I value you, and I want to know you, and I want you to know me. Let's eat together. Let's spend time together. Let's celebrate together. Jesus is saying that to you. But if, if you've been in relationship with Jesus for some time, then I want to challenge you in this last song. I want to challenge you, where is that place of awkwardness and uncomfortableness? The band's going to come and play this morning, and I want you to answer that question. They're going to play softly for just a few minutes, and I want you to answer those questions. Maybe you write it down. Maybe you make a point to visit there this week. One, who is the tax collector in your life? And secondly, where is that awkward place for you that you know God's telling you you need to be so that you can share and maybe be the only source of light in a dark place?